Welcome to the Broadcorb Report with our hosts, Michael Broadcorb and Becky Allery. I'm the moderator, Todd Walker. Thank you to the number of you that uh, have found us and are listening to us. We're very pleased. They've been some great, great shows. But for those of you that are new to listening to the Broadcorp Report, let's first talk a little bit about our hosts. Let's talk about Michael Broadcorp, who is Michael Broadcorp, and who is Becky Allery. Michael, your name is on the show as the main host, I guess, so tell us a little bit about you, Michael. I'm a husband and father, work in communications, media, and research, have a political background. I also am an author, I've done some journalism in the past, and I'm just happy to uh, hold up my part of the show. Okay, when you say you have a political <laughs> background, let's face it, this is, show is basically focused on politics. Give us a little bit of your political background. I was a former deputy chair of the Republican Party of Minnesota. I've also worked at a variety of staff levels on federal, legislative, and local campaigns and state campaigns. I also was a staff member in a variety of capacity at the party. All right, and Becky Ellery. Yeah, uh, I guess start off the same way as Michael. I am a wife and new mother of a awesome four-month-old little baby boy. Um, I have also worked at the state legislature. I've worked on congressional campaigns, Senate campaigns, um, spent three years out in Washington, D.C., and uh, yeah, I've just kind of spent the last decade here in, in politics of and campaigns of all sorts. All right. Thank you both. Well, it's been a, a great start to this Broadcorp report. And last week we were talking post-midterm elections. But let's talk a little bit about now what has happened since the people are actually in their positions. I'm going to start with Tom Emmer. I know both of you have a background in to, with, with Tom Emmer. So Emmer has now been elected majority whip. How did Tom win this race, and what does this mean for Minnesota and the Republican Party? And for those of you that are new listeners, uh, help us understand what the role of a whip is. All right. Um, I will say I am a longtime Emmer fan, staffer, supporter. Um, I spent uh, first worked on his campaign in 2010 um, when he was just a little shy of winning the governorship there. Um, and then I spent uh, three years working for him as communications director out in Washington, D.C. So uh, full disclosure, big team Emmer gal here. Um, you know, this was a really great win. Emmer spent the last two election cycles as the chair of the NRCC. He was tasked with making sure Republicans were getting elected to Congress. Um, and then once, you know, even before that and since, um, he, he really made sure that once they got elected, he helped get them um, kind of, you know, get their feet wet a little bit, um, hit the ground running once they got to Congress. So he really spent the last, you know, five or four terms so far um, building those relationships with new members, with the members that were already established there. Um, and really just those relationships are, are a large part of the reason he was elected. There were two other candidates that he was running against, I believe, um, one of which was endorsed by uh, Donald Trump Jr., um, and he still came out on top. Uh, Tom Emmer, I've known for a number of years. Uh, I first met him when he was running for a governor. I was the deputy chair when the party endorsed him to run for governor in 2010. I, I believe that's where I first met Becky. Uh, Emmer lost a close race. Uh, and then um, spent some time on the radio. Then he decided to run for Congress. He's done a remarkable job. Uh, Tom Emmer has all of the, it's just tremendous potential for Republicans, both in Minnesota and across the country. I'm a huge fan of his. When I wrote, when I started writing for the Star Tribune, my first column that I wrote for the Star Tribune was about Tom Emmer and about him running and, and all of the work he had done post running for office and how he was you know coming into a, an awesome congressional district but that he had, was ripe for opportunities for him long term and he's shown the people of Minnesota the 6th congressional district republicans both locally and nationally 
that he's a leader in that party. It's going to be great for national Republicans. It's going to be good for Minnesota and Minnesota Republicans, too, to have someone in congressional leadership like that. Um, and I think one of the great things that Emmer did, you know, the, the 6th Congressional District is the most conservative district or, you know, probably the most conservative district in the state. Um, and I think that he really has taken this um, opportunity where he could have really sat back, kind of just gone along, um, been a good vote for Republicans and, you know, gotten a paycheck. And he really, really got there, got to work, kept his head down, worked hard um, and has made a name for himself. He is the perfect person to be the whip. If you think about that term, it literally is, it comes from the term whip in, in this kind of context comes from a hunting party where it was someone's job to keep the dogs together and keep them focused in the pack. And so it's really about corralling people. It's from the term whipper in is where the term whip comes from. And he also, it also has kind of that image of kind of keeping folks in line and being, a, you know, a taskmaster, counting votes, doing things. That's a perfect job for Tom Emmer. And, and it's a, it's a platform. I think Minnesotans, have gotten a benefit from seeing Emmer's leadership over the last few years in Congress, both at the state and local level prior. But now he's going to have an opportunity to have much more of a stronger national platform. And I think a lot of Minnesotans and a lot of Americans are going to agree that they want to see more of Tom Emmer on the national stage. And so this is going to be good. And, you know, along with that, I, I didn't know the background about the whip. So that is very interesting. But I do think that, um, like Michael said, you know, this is going to be a really good role for, for Tom Emmer. He is a really, really smart guy, has those relationships, is going to be able to utilize that to make sure that Republicans keep their eye on the on the horizon, keep moving forward. And, uh, you know, make sure they put up the fight to the Democrats and don't let some of those squishy bills through. An interesting question will be, and we should research this for our next show, when was the last time Minnesota had a member of Congress uh, in the House or Senate in a leadership position like this? Um, I so, think it might be Humphrey. Um, when he was when he went back to the Senate, they created a term because he had been, you know, he'd been a member of the Senate. He was vice president. And then he got reelected to the Senate. And I believe that they created a uh, they created like a pro temp, you know, president type position for Humphrey so he could serve in leadership. And that, that might be the last time that we've had a member of Minnesota's congressional delegation in a high ranking position like this. All right. So what does the whip do? I mean, why is this such an important role? I now understand what you're saying, where the the origin of the word. But how how does the uh, whip have power? They have or first of all, I think they're third in line. So the third in line. So it's this it's the speaker designate. Correct. And it's the majority leader. And then it's the whip. So he's in essence, the the speaker is an officer of the entire body. The majority leader is the leader of the majority party, and that is Steve Scalise, correct? Yes. I'm right on that? Okay, so Steve Scalise. So Tom Emmer is, in essence, Steve Scalise number two, or you know his, his, first, his first officer, if this was kind of a military operation. And so Emmer is third in line in the leadership of the House of Representatives. So there are some administrative functions that will come with that, but it will also be, he will be the chief lieutenant, he, he will be the <laughs> chief lieutenant of... In essence, the operation that Steve Scalise and the House Republicans are managing. All right. So who's number one and who's number two in command? Uh, Steve Scalise would be well, the speaker's number one. They're third in line for the presidency. The top Republican, aside from the speaker, would be Steve Scalise. He's the majority leader. And so for this, one of the big things that the whip does is also make sure that the Republican caucus or conference in D.C., 
doesn't get embarrassed, right? They want to make sure that if they're putting up a vote, that they're going to have the votes to pass that. They don't want to have, you know, the speaker put up a bill that is going to be hopefully this big win for the Republican Party, something that they can run on um, in two years. They don't want to make sure have something like that, um, for example, uh, like a failure to repeal Obamacare, something that fails when you're on the House or Senate floor. So they're the ones that are tasked with making sure those tally marks are counted, that they have all those things. And sometimes it is, uh, you know, quote unquote, twisting of the arms. It's, it's making sure that some of those folks kind of fall in line when they need to. All right. So it sounds like it's great for the state of Minnesota as and well, having Tom. It's a great fit for Emmer. All right. Let's talk about the Minnesota GOP. So it's let's be honest, the Minnesota GOP got their ass kicked. So what does this mean for the party going forward? And uh, where does it go from here? Uh, where they should go and where they will go is up to debate. I, I'd like to offer a, a somewhat pointed opinion on where they where they should go. Shocker. Um, thank you. Uh, where they should go is they should start over. Uh, they should they have they are a burning wreckage of a political party. Uh, this is as I described on on a post that the Jensen campaign was like the Hindenburg blowing up. Um, and what you have now is you have the remnants of that kind of steel you know wreckage that's just been sitting there and burning, and it should start over. Um, you know, back in my day when I was the deputy chair of the party and in prior experience, there was just a, a, a higher level of customer service that the party provided to candidates and to the overall benefit of the party apparatus in the state. And that didn't happen this election cycle. Uh, the party is in a weaker position than they ever have been before. And one of the things I find so frustrating about party activists uh, and candidates uh, and some of the operatives that are involved right now is their lack of their lack of any sense of being introspective and examining what they did. Uh, as I've said before, uh, that the least uh, introspective people are Republicans after they lose elections. Uh, they're supposed to be the party of personal responsibility, except when it comes to winning elections. And so what I think will happen is that the party will reelect or, or reelect David Han in, in some form. Um, he'll be there in some capacity when, in fact, uh, the party is the, the speed of the election, the fact that it's December 3rd, I think doesn't provide. I understand the logic in moving the convention or the state, the, the state central committee meeting, I should say, that will elect the party chair closer to uh, tie it to the election results. The problem with that is that it really doesn't prevent a lot. It doesn't allow for a lot of time for a candidate to run. And when you have a party chairman who is in some by some logic wanting to run again and, and is going to talk about that record, I don't think there's much of a record to talk about. And I think it's problematic overall for the party. Hand running for re-election right now as party chairman is like a losing coach that lost 16, 17 games of an NFL season wanting to be rehired. And the activists deserve more. The donor community deserves more. And Minnesotans like me, who are not as connected and as close to the party as they, they have been in the past, but want to see the party succeed, are frustrated. And, and we're screaming at a TV set very much like we do on Sunday Sunday afternoons watching the Vikings play. So, and Becky, so, do you think the Hindenburg, Hindenburg uh, you know, blew up and that's a good uh, uh, vision to see where the <laughs> GOP party is right now? I mean, I think it's a little harsh. Um, I think that, you know, one of the biggest problems that Minnesota Republican Party has um, is unlike the Democrats who have had Ken Martin as chair for what are we going on 10, 12 years now, um, we've been having to basically restart over every two years. We have all of these different groups kind of working individually um, and, and no kind of cohesion between uh, what is going on, between door knocking, messaging, fundraising, all of that. And so we have kind of every two years are recreating the wheel here. So um, 
I'll be a little less harsh. Now, I do think that, uh, you know, David Han didn't necessarily deliver, obviously. I mean, I think the results speak for that. I do really like David Han. I think he's a nice guy. Um, I do think we need somebody who's maybe going to be a little bit more fiery, a little bit more message-driven, and and really kind of drive the ship um, the way we need it to go. There's a fundamental difference in how the DFL approaches the role of party chair and how Republicans do. Ken Martin is a tactician. He's a strategist. He has run campaigns. He's been a part of the political process uh, and has and has had to make, prior to being elected chair of the party, he served in campaigns and had a role and understood how they operate. David Hamill is an elected official. He lost his reelection, I think, in 2020. Um, and so what happened after he lost the election is a number of party activists and a number of people wanted to get wanted David Hanna to get a job. And so they took a state senator who wasn't reelected, who couldn't manage his own race, and they decided to put him at the head of a political party. And fundamentally, that's not a successful role for David Hanna to be in. Um, he is a, he is best suited to to write white papers for uh, a think tank, but he's never in his life managed a political operation successfully. Uh, to the level at which someone like Ken Martin has. And so operationally, we're putting ourselves at a disadvantage when we elect someone who hasn't run a successful campaign to not run a statewide effort. And I think that's a fair point. I will say it's kind of a chicken and egg situation of what comes first. I mean, who in the state of Minnesota has won a Republican race lately? Because we just have not been successful for the last 5, 10, 12, 20 years. Um, so I think that that is, you know, one of the major issues. Unlike the Democrats, they're able to, they've been winning. Obviously, there's a lot we could dive into here, but they're winning. They're able to kind of stash their campaign staffers in different organizations, different um, administration positions, so that when the next big cycle comes up, they're able to pull those campaign st- staffers back out. On the Republican side, we're not able to. I mean, I will say for myself, there's just – I'm a former campaign staffer. I love it. It's not super conducive to having, you know, a husband and a child. Um, but there gets to be a point where you, you know, have this job for the on year and then the off year. There's just not money to be made there. And if you're needing to pay a mortgage, pay bills, um, Republicans just don't have that same kind of cycle where we have different areas where we can stash good, solid campaign staffers and bring them back out. Why don't you run? Oh, God, no. Well, let me just be <laughs> candid with you, because if, 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 you know, one of the things I'm, I'm somewhat cr- cr- get criticized for is not offering solutions. You would be a good party chair okay. because you, first of all, you have an understanding of how campaigns work, the good and the bad. Uh, it, I have learned on campaigns. Uh, I've worked on campaigns that have won and campaigns that have lost. Uh, I, from a learning experience, I would say I learn more from losing efforts. The problem that we have with the party is they're not learning from these mistakes. They're building, they're, they keep, you described as kind of rebuilding the wheel and kind of rebuilding. They're, they're building square wheels. They're not wheels, and they're not successful. And so that's the problem here. If someone like Becky, who's, who's obviously not going to take this Becky, Becky, what are we going to do? Are you going to run? Yeah, I mean, he's apparently trying to get rid of his co-host, there you know, you well, episode no, I'm not. three. I, I, it would be a great, it would be a, you know, it would be a great opportunity for guests. But I, I would be, if someone like, of, like Becky or of Becky's qualifications were to stop in, I would get behind that effort. I think that would be great because she's a tactician. She's a strategist. She understands how campaigns work. She's been on both sides of, the, of all the kind of sides of the, the political spectrum and understands 
the intensity that's needed to win these. So what do you that's think, Becky, are going to run? You've got oh, Michael's endorsement. Oh, goodness, absolutely not. Um, I, I appreciate the the vote of confidence there. I have a number of people, though, that I do believe that, you know, that I understand where you're getting at there. A number of friends. I'm not going to throw any names out because I don't think that names, they appreciate Becky, it. Names, Becky, um, names. We want names. We want names. One now. name, one name. Oh, he's going to hate me. Do it. Say Let's it. hear it. I, I think Kevin Poindexter would be a, a great party chair. I would second that. And let me also say to you, if it benefits both you and Kevin for me to attack you on social media and say <laughs> that you're a bad choice to run, I will do that too to be helpful. Kevin would be a good choice. You would be a good choice. There's a number of people out there, I think, that would fall into that model. That's what the party needs. However, the issue with this, as you said earlier, it's very much about customer service. You know, it's like asking somebody who's on the other line of a customer service line to to want to be doing that for the next two years and, and being the person that gets yelled at and screamed at for perpetually for, for two years straight. It's a really, really hard thing to do if you put yourself in that position. However, it is kind of what we need to be successful. My last point on this subject will be that model that you just described, you, uh, Kevin Poindexter, that would be the model that Republicans haven't tried. And that's what I would say needs to be tried. All right. Well, we heard it here. Becky's Kevin, a, don't be- hate me. Becky's a no, but uh, she threw out a name. She threw out a name <laughs> of a possible contender. All right. Uh, clearly, we have to talk about the announcement this week, the recent announcement that Donald Trump threw his hat in the ring for a re-election. So we uh, need some of your, your comments, some of your reactions. So what are your thoughts on it? Well, I'll go to a, a uh, one of Becky, uh, aside from being the co-host, voice of reason, you're a passionate Donald Trump supporter. Okay. So talk to us a bit about where were you on Tuesday night? Was your whole family around the TV <laughs> sets? Did you invite neighbors over? Was it a big gathering? Um, what were your thoughts? Did it, did did he did all, were all your hopes and dreams answered on Tuesday night? So you're throwing Becky in the uh, Trumper. Yes, you know. So I'll I'll lay out my my position here. My illustrious co-host um, has put me in. Um, you know, I I voted for. I think last episode I mentioned I, I voted for Donald Trump. Um, out of the one of the two last elections. Um, and I did end up, you know, the first election I did not. I was nervous I was going to regret it. Um, second election, I did think that, you know, I'll, I'll speak to this in a second. I do think that there were some successes that Donald Trump had in his two, two, in his time in office. Um, in 2020, I thought that, you know, the tax cuts, some of his foreign policy, um, some of his energy independence, uh, you know, I, I, I do think that there was, you know, deregulation. There are some things that pointed to, us going down the right path, and I thought that he had earned my vote. January 6th happened, and I, I greatly regret being um, somebody that did, did give him my vote. I will say that. However, I will say Donald Trump came out of a need, um, a desire for a lot of Republicans, a lot of people who maybe didn't identify with the Republican Party before. This PC culture, this um, fake news kind of thing. We had somebody who came in, was a real ball buster, really wanted to shake things up, said a lot of the things that people really were uh, afraid of saying, you know, love them or hate them for that. Um, and so I think that that's what a lot of people re- resonated with a lot of people. They heard somebody up there that wasn't polished, that wasn't wearing, you know, just the nice suit, suit super polished and saying what everybody wanted to hear. He was saying what he wanted to say, what he believed. And that really, truly resonated with people. A lot of people, you know, here in Minnesota, greater Minnesota, we had a really lot of Trump supporters. Um, Michael might call them, you know, cult people. Uh, I think that they're, you know, very, um, very energized activists. I I will be a little sympathetic in, in the folks that really did 
So would you support his uh, presidency for 2024? I would history, not. I think this is the only the second time in history that a former president that then lost an election has come back and has run. Do you guys remember who the other one was? was uh, it would have what? to be Grover Cleveland. I think that is correct. Oh, you asked a question yeah. and didn't Two know. non-consecutive I, I, terms. Yeah. I believe that's it. So, what do you th- so Becky, it sounds like you would support him right now for no, his candidacy. No, I, I am not a, a Trump 2.0 supporter. I think that we can do better. I think this last election um, showed that, you know, the Trump model and the Trump support to having that endorsement is not the end-all, be-all. Um, and I think we can, we can hopefully get somebody, get some other, you know, adults around the table, reasonable voices. I don't know if, if I would. I mean, there's obviously a cult of personality that exists in, in the party related to Trump. Um, I didn't vote for him in 16 or 20. I, I, as I tweeted out, I, I'm, I hope I don't get the opportunity to vote against him again. I hope there's uh, sanity and reason for the first time in the endorsement process. But I will say, uh, if we, to be consistent, I think he comes in as the front runner to win the endorsement. To get, I'm sorry, to be nominated. I think there is a path for a non-Trump candidate. The problem is, is that he brings, he is a bull that brings his own China shop. Uh, a lot of people have uh, that enjoy his kind of persona and politics. That's tough to compete with. Um, and so the, let's, let's lay the base here as to the, the, the type of activists that are going to decide this. The people that bought into Trump's campaign thought that we were going to build the wall and that Mexico was going to pay for it. That's the kind of base. And that never happened. And so I think that there are a lot of activists that he, I think he comes into the Republican nominating process uh, with he's the front runner. It's going to take a lot of work to move him out of the way. He's like a relative that stays over too long that you just finally have to. I mean, you have to work with him to get out, them to get out of the house, too. And so I don't see while there is a path, it's a difficult path. It's a difficult lane for someone to get past Trump. And so right now, unfortunately, and I'm disappointed to say this, is that I think it's going to be Trump unless something miraculous happens. Uh, And that could mean a potential law enforcement investigation, indictments and other type of stuff. But I guarantee you, if Donald Trump has to exit the Republican stage and he's not the endorsed candidate or he's not the party's nominee and his exodus is 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 before the convention, uh, he will burn the place down before he leaves. Final thoughts on Trump. 2024, Becky. Yeah, you know, I don't, I, I, I think it's a mass generalization of just, you know, Trump supporters are these folks that thought Mexico was going to build the wall. Sure, that was one of many policies that, that Trump advocated for. I think there was a lot of, he tapped into a lot of frustrations across the board. People reading the news, watching the news every day, and seeing the liberal lean and the bias there that not being represented, not being given an even playing field. They were paying too much in taxes. They were seeing these regulations and delays and all this red tape. I think that there was a lot of things that Trump said he was going to do, got there and was successful. Um, And a lot of people, those activists, the people that go and door knock, that make those phone calls really bought into. I don't necessarily know that he's actually going to would win the nomination, though. That's another place I think we disagree. All right. (laughs) I I don't think we've uh, we've we've solved this issue yet. I'm sure this will be coming up in uh, future episodes as well. Okay, guys, uh, random reactions. Want to hear your thoughts on Nancy giving up the gavel to Kevin McCarthy? About time. Well, I mean, she's it's it's significant. It's historic. It's not the gains that Republicans expected. But uh, not only is she going to no longer be the speaker, she's now announced earlier today that she's not going to be the the head of the the Democratic caucus. 
So that's a that's a big development. Becky? Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, uh, I don't know that it was necessarily her decision or pressured into it. Um, I think that it will um, be interesting to see how it goes. If the progressives, uh, you know, more radical squad progressive kind of voices are the ones that step into that position. Um, obviously not speaker, but into the minority leader type positions over there. So uh, we will have to wait and see. Um, what kind of policy changes come from her not leading the charge? All right. Continuing with some random reactions, guys. I'm tossing these at you. Let's talk a little bit about first thoughts and some of the local state cabinet recent resignations and your take on Jan Malcolm. The, uh, she was the MDH, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. she was the commissioner yeah, of the Minnesota, Minnesota Department, Department of, Health. of Health. John Harrington, Public Safety, and Heather Mailer, Department of Education. All of them announced their resignation. Reactions, thoughts, guys? I think... My understanding from the media's, media stories about it is that is that the governor wanted everyone to stick around for a, a second term uh, and be a part of his administration again. I think the three that stepped down had faced a lot of scrutiny, and so I'm not surprised by them. MD, the commissioner of MD, obviously because of the Feeding Our Future scandal and other thing, I think her, her departure is probably well served. Uh, John Harrington, I'm a little surprised with, mm-hmm. um, but I think that that is going to give I think the opportunity it provides the governor in a new administration. Um, is uh, a, a new focus on public safety in the state as to where it goes. And so it may be nice to see an outside-of-the-box kind of pick, not to say that Harrington wasn't. He came from a law enforcement background, but that would be interesting to see what he does. Malcolm, I'm the least surprised about. She had taken a lot of heat over the last few years related to the pandemic. Um, I can see her wanting to exit the stage. Uh, I don't share many of the criticisms that a lot of Republicans and a lot of candidates brought in and, and the way that that process was politicized. Um, and so I think she's earned an opportunity to step off the stage. Um, she had served under previous governors. I think she had served under Ventura, under his administration, too, as the commissioner of health. And so not a doctor, but tr- qualified to be in that role at MDH. And we'll see who the governor picks. Becky. Yeah, you know, uh, I I certainly think it's not overly surprising, especially, you know, you are commissioner during a pandemic, um, you know, commissioner during a a huge million and million dollar, multi-million dollar scandal. Not surprising that you don't want to continue having those jobs after facing the, you know, controversy that you faced for the last four years. Um, I I think it will be interesting to see how it plays out, who steps into those roles. Um, I do argue, you know, jump on my fake news Trump bandwagon. Um, I do think if this was a Republican and three top commissioners were, were stepping away. I think that that would be um, spun as a reflection on the governor winning a second term, whether they support that, whether they, you know, what going into that. And so we'll have to wait and see. All right. So let's go to the tweet of the week. So, guys, share with us. You're both very active on Twitter. So uh, give us your tweet of the week. Becky. So I'm going to change it up. Mine's a Facebook message. Um, I'm not going to share names on this one. I'm going to keep this identification private. Um, it says, hi, Becky. It has been a while since we've spoken. I'm a bit distressed that you've been thrown with the narcissist bordering on mental illness, Michael Broadcorp. Whoa. So, uh, that guy, me? Yeah. Come really, on. I know. Really came. You got a couple haters out there. I, I will say I, I defended you. I think that this is a you know good opportunity to to bring in some differing of opinions. I don't think you're borderline mental illness at all. Oh, that's very nice to say. Thank you so much. <laughs> was wow, that a wow. compliment? I mean, thank it was you. meant to be. You, by the way, are you qualified to offer any type of? Di- not at all. Okay, I am not a medical I wanted the listeners to be careful that. Wow, all right, that's <laughs> Michael. Tweet uh, of the week. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, give a shout out to one of our fans, uh, Keith Nordine, uh, who tweeted at me today, tweeted to us today, saying that he was patiently waiting for episode three. 
He's been a good listener. He's been a good commenter. Uh, he's provided some feedback on the show. So thanks, Keith, for listening uh, and for being an early listener and supporter of this show. We appreciate it so much. All right. So, guys, it's we're you know well into uh, the show now. So t- tell us a little bit about uh, how people can reach out to you. If they have comments, if they want to be part of the show, if they have ideas for guests, if they have ideas for subjects, where can they reach out and find the two of you? I'm on Twitter at at mbroadcorp. You are at... Allery RL. And one of the things we're talking about is getting guests on the show. And we're coming up to a Thanksgiving break. We're going to have a show next week during Thanksgiving. But after Thanksgiving, we're going to start looking at bringing some guests on the show. And I think kind of the people we're looking at, without mentioning any names, are people that are, are, are excited, uh, want to be in part of a good kind of lively conversation. Not necessarily Republicans, not necessarily just Democrats, but a wide variety of people and so we'd be, I'd be interested in hearing, I think you would be too, on, on ideas and suggestions for people that could potentially be guests on the show. We've constructed a list offline, and, and we obviously have put some thought in it, but we really wanted to engage our listeners too to see what type of guests you think would add to the discussion that uh, the three of us are having. Absolutely. Nobody's off limits. Elected officials, staffers, party people, uh, journalists, you know, throw them, throw them at us. Can you maybe get the former president to join the show? I'll do my best. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of the Broad Corp, Re- Corp Report. And join us uh, in the upcoming weeks. Now, Michael, don't give me that roll of the eyes. I said Broad Corp. You, you said it right that time. You right. didn't the time when I was rolling my eyes. <laughs> Michael, Michael, Michael. So, yes, thanks for joining us on the Broad Corbett Report, and we will be with you in upcoming weeks. And please reach out to us and our hosts, Michael Broadcorb and Becky Ellery, and I'm your moderator. As Michael's now calling me the whip, Todd Walker. <laughs>